we last talk about meditation, the process of meditation. Now we need to look at why we meditate. We meditate for only one purpose, to know God and to know ourselves, because we are one with God. If we know one, we will certainly know the other. And that's the purpose. Why don't we know God right now already? Because of all the obstacles in the way. Just as a magnet coated with a large amount of mud will not be able to attract metal objects or a metal object coated with mud will not be able to be attracted by a magnet. It's the same with us. We can't produce enlightenment. Enlightenment is recognized. It is realized. That's what we talk about, realizing the self, not becoming the self, but realizing it. This is extremely important because some people feel, as I think I've spoken before, well, we're perfect, so why should we do anything? Well, there is nothing we can do with our pure self, our true Atma. But there's a great deal we can do with the evolving part of us. God is involved in the evolution of the universe. We are involved in the evolution of our miniature universe. So we don't meditate to just feel good, to be happy, health gets better. We can cope more with the miseries of life rather than do that which, uh, rather than I say than eliminate that which we ourselves are doing to cause the miseries of life. So let's consider the obstacles. What is keeping us from knowing Aham Brahmasmi, I am that Brahman itself. In the 29th verse of the Samadhi Pada, Patanjali continues this subject of the Japa and meditation of Om. He says, from that, meaning from the Japa and the meditation, Result the disappearance of obstacles and the turning inward of consciousness. And this is a very important point. He doesn't say we'll just fight and fight and struggle and we'll grab a hold of it and we'll conquer it and we'll kill it. He says the obstacles will disappear. They'll just melt away. Why? Because the obstacles are not really outside of us. They're inside of us. And when our consciousness is purified, they go. That's the way it happens. And then the consciousness that is aware only of the world and our part in the world, the body, will turn inward. So then in the next verse, so we'll understand what is an actual obstacle, Patanjali says this in the 30th verse, disease, languor, Doubt, carelessness, laziness, worldly-mindedness, delusion, non-achievement of a state, instability, these cause the distraction of the mind and they are the obstacles. Let's look at each one 
in turn. First, vyadi, disease of the body. Well, when we're sick, we know how occupied we are with the feeling of sickness. It's been my experience throughout my life that often when I'm sick, I can't even remember a time when I wasn't sick. And when I am not sick, I don't have a good memory of when I was sick. This is the strangeness of the mind, or at least of my mind. So the disease is there, but also we have to remember the body and the mind are interconnected. So when the body is diseased, it is because the mind is diseased. Physical disease is just a symptom. The real disease is in the mind. And that, of course, is the root obstacle. So we need to look after our health, not in an obsessive way, but certainly in a wise and sensible way. To endanger the health or to actually ruin the health on the idea of I'm doing this to find God and I'd rather die than not find God is just to be utterly deluded and utterly, utterly aware of both the process of yoga, the purpose of yoga, and what is hindering the yoga. All right, the next, the next obstacle, stiana. It means dullness or languor, a feeling of weakness or debility, a kind of drooping state. We call it the blahs <laughs> here in America. In other words, a state where it's just sort of, eh. And that, too, is not just a physical state. It's a mental state. And many people let themselves, uh, they don't even just fall into it. Many people live in it. Then there is samshaya, doubt. Will this really work? Have I been going through millions of incarnations and is this little thing really going to do it? Don't I need some high-powered, super advanced practice? Something that, you know, hardly anyone in the world can do and then virtually no one in the world knows it so that I'm this extraordinary, special, gifted and skilled person? No. Because, you see, the problem is simple. We don't know God. It may be difficult to cure to eliminate that problem, but it's very simple and is very easy to grasp. But it's also easy to have doubt. I have already told you the story of Kabir's son, who looked at the name of Rama, said, oh, nothing but the name of Rama, and, and sank when he, beforehand, he had been able to walk on the water. And it's natural. Sometimes we doubt ourselves. We think, well, I don't know if I can find God. Maybe others do. But what if I cannot? But it's the destiny of every person to find God. So definitely, you do have the ability. This is very important. Uh, Samshai also means suspicion. In other words, is somebody putting something over on me? Uh, are they just fooling me? Now, sometimes that's not an unintelligent question. I had that in the very beginning of my yoga life, and I thought, well, what if what I'm being taught has just been packaged for consumption here in America? I think I'll go to India and find out what the real thing is. 
And the interesting thing about that was as soon as I told people in the particular group I belonged to, they went into a panic and tried to talk me out of it. I knew a couple of other yoga-type organizations that were the same way. They didn't want their members to go to India because if they did, they would almost always quit those groups because they would find, yes, I have been, as we say in our American idiom, sold a bill of goods. But there's also uh, a bad kind of suspicion where we think, well, maybe they just wanted my money. Maybe they just wanted my loyalty. Another obstacle is pramada, which means carelessness. Therefore, having a faulty practice. That we're sloppy in it. We don't have the, we have the ability, but we don't put forth the ability because we don't have a strong enough motivation. This comes right in with the next one, alusya, which means laziness, idleness, even worse, apathy and a sense of indifference. You know, there are people that don't realize that we're never going to get out of here alive and that we are every moment in very real danger of losing what little insight and inspiration we have. Years and years ago, I was told about a, uh, a school, uh, that a grade school, that needed a school bus driver. And they had very bad winters, a lot of snow, ice, and so on. And so the school board was interviewing people who wanted that job. They asked the uh, applicants just a single question. If you had a bus full of the children and you came to a bridge that had no sides, that was completely flat and open, that was covered with ice, and beneath it was an icy river in flood, and you had to drive that bus across that ice-covered bridge. How close do you think you could go, or do you feel you could go, to the edge and feel safe? So various people gave estimates. They hired a man who said, Are you joking? I would drive straight in the middle, exactly in the middle of that bridge, and I would be terrified every moment until I got across and knew the children were safe. So, of course, they hired him. Unfortunately, we're not that uh, aware often in our spiritual life. A lot of people like to talk about their inner child, but they expose their inner child to terrible dangers. Now we switch gears a bit. The next one is avirati, which means hankering after objects, wanting things. Non-dispassion, not being unattached to what actually harms us. It even means sensual indulgence, lack of control, and complete non-restraint. I don't see why I should give that up. I don't see how that hurts me. 
Why would I want to live if I couldn't have this or if I couldn't do this? And so on. And so, just as Esau sold his birthright in the Bible just for a bowl of soup, we sell our eternal birthright. And to do that, we have to be very foolish. And the very next obstacle is Branti Darshana, seeing everything wrong, seeing it backwards, seeing it upside down, valuing what is worthless and not valuing what is valuable, truly. Having it all backwards. This also includes a totally wrong self-concept. A totally wrong idea of what the world's here for. This is why, without the teachings of Sanatana Dharma, how will a person be a yogi? How does a person become a yogi who believes there was a time when they didn't exist? God created them out of nothing. And here they are, and if they don't do what God wants, God will bring in the men to a judgment and eternally torture them for having miffed him by not following what he told them. These one life only religions, how can a person be a yogi in that? How can a person even be motivated if we don't understand reincarnation, if we don't understand karma? You know? And so it's silly to say anybody, it doesn't matter what the religion is, it doesn't matter if they don't have a religion. Everybody can be a yogi. If you think yoga is just a bunch of mental and physical mechanics, you're right, but you're wrong. You must have the right view. Buddha emphasized this strongly. Next, we come to a real tongue twister. I'll try my best. Alabda Bhumikattva. Maybe I got it, or I didn't. I don't have anybody to tell me. But it means non-achieving of a stage. In other words, we go step by step to God. The purification of the mind is step by step. Everything is truly methodical. There is no leap forward or fall backwards. It just is a happenstance. And by the way, there is no so-called free grace that's going to lift, it, lift us to that state or give it. The grace of God is the knowledge and the impulse to find God, and yoga itself is the grace of God. It must be done by us and the way God intended. Do you remember the, um, the comic movie by Woody Allen where the man is being, I mean, I'm sorry, the parents of this man, of the character played by Woody Allen, are being interviewed. And then they interview his music teacher, who was a teacher of the cello. And he says, well, the boy had no concept of the nature of the instrument. He kept trying to play it by blowing in the holes. That's how a lot of people live life, and that's how a lot of so-called yogis carry on with yoga. Next is Anavastita Dvani, which is unsteadiness, and it really relates back to the previous one, an instability of mind, an inability to gain mental steadiness. These are mental flaws and they have to be worked on. And it can take a person a lifetime, 
but it's the only way to really live. Now Patanjali gives us another verse, the 31st verse. Pain, despair, nervousness, agitation, these are the symptoms of a distracted condition of mind. You see, we have the ability to perceive the self and God, but it's gotten distracted and therefore distorted. Dukkha is the first word used. This means everything from real suffering, real pain, misery, sorrow, grief, unhappiness, stress, to simple uneasiness. Dukkha has a very wide a very wide meaning. The first of the four great truths enunciated by Buddha is pain exists, suffering exists, and the word he uses is dukkha. The next is dormanasha, which is despair or depression. A feeling of being wretched, feeling of being miserable. There are certain religions that say that's the state of mind we should always have, so we'll be sure to repent and be forgiven by a peeved God who maybe thought we were enjoying ourselves too much. Then, Angamajayatva is a lack of controlling the body. That covers a lot of territory too. It sometimes means a shaking of the body. This can happen. This especially is in the neurological area of things. I knew a very devoted man, very devoted yoga, yogi, sorry, who practiced a very strenuous kind of yoga. And finally he got so he couldn't do it because the muscles throughout his body would twitch. And it was a very, very sad thing to see. He was a very wonderful person. And he was just completely incapable of doing anything with his mind. Uh, it was really, really tragic. Uh, what cured it was he quit the yoga. So we also have to understand that a symptom like this may not be just a sign, uh, just an obstacle in the yoga. The yoga itself is an obstacle. People need to question this. A man wrote to me and said, I've been practicing this yoga for 30 years. I haven't gotten anywhere. I'm terribly depressed because I feel I'm worthless. You see, he had been so brainwashed by the group he was in and especially by the obsession was supposedly a great divine guru that he supposedly had, that he couldn't say, I'm not worthless. This yoga is worthless. And this teaching is worthless. This is extremely important. The last is Shvasa Prashvasa, which means labored breathing, difficulty in breathing, and uh, raggedness and disharmony in inspiration and expiration. As a rule, joining Om to the mind in a while completely takes care of this. But if it's a symptom of some serious disease, well, of course, we, we need it to persist. So we will be warned that we are in danger. So then, all these are the symptoms, as he says, of a mental state that is outward turned and impelled 
toward and completely obsessed and absorbed with externalities. Reality is inside, so inner awareness is the only condition which enables us to see true reality. In conclusion, Patanjali takes us right back to where we were before when he told us the vachika, the sound form of God of Ishwara is Om, that the repetition and meditation of Om was the way. And so he says, for removing these obstacles, there should be the constant practice of this one principle. He uses the word ekatatva, actually. In other words, the japa and bhavanam of Om will remove these obstacles. It's so simple. A lot of people even commenting on this Yoga Sutra completely miss it. So this tells us how great Om is. That again, too, we can have doubt. This little tiny thing, this will do it? Even though it's only a particle of an atom moving through the mass of uranium that creates or causes an atomic blast. I've heard a polytheist who said, why would you believe in just one God? How's one God going to do everything you need? You need a powerful religion with lots of gods to do the things that you want done and to give you the things that you want to possess. So you could say, well, God's so simple. Why would I bother with God? But this is the nature of truth. Now on this subject, we pretty well completed the picture. We only need one thing in conclusion, and that's from the Bhagavad Gita, the 16th chapter, the 24th verse. Having known what is said in the ordinance of the scriptures, you should act here in this world. This is the way to transcend this world. So we've completed the subject, and I hope you'll be listening to the next podcast to see what that subject will be. And I have to admit to you that I don't know what it's going to be. So we can be surprised together, pleasantly, I hope.